Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Networks podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Grace Mansurabusu, and today we'll be showcasing two business psychologists who work in various sectors in the UK. So we have one who works in the civil service in the public sector and another person who works in a private sector small consultancy. Both of them specialise in assessment and selection, so designing psychometrics. Hello everyone and thank you for listening in to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Networks podcast. We have two wonderful guests here at the moment, uh, so would you like to introduce yourself please? Hi, I'm Winnie Frimpong from Aston Business Assessments. And hi, I'm Lola Dunsey and I work within the civil service. So today we're going to be talking to Lola and Winnie about their jobs in business psychology or occupational psychology. So the name of this podcast is the Black Business Psychology Network, yet this is the first time we're actually getting business psychologists who are black on the podcast. So these wonderful ladies will be talking about their jobs, how they got to where they are, some of their highlights of work that they do, some of the challenges that they faced, and any advice for aspiring organisational slash occupational slash industrial psychologists. So the first question is, what led you to study psychology in the first place? And I'll start with Lola. So I was just interested, well, I am interested in people and just what they do, why they do what they do. Um, I've always been interested in, yeah, I've always been one of those ones that do people watching, like to observe people and see why, you know, what they do things and why they do things. And I guess I was, I did psychology during my A-levels mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, and I thought, okay, I would like to take this on and carry this on at university. And I also wanted to become a psychologist, but I don't think I really understood, understood what a psychologist was at that point, but I thought it was something fun to do. Mm. Similar to me, actually, but I won't talk about me yet. Winnie, how about you? What led you to study psychology? So... I guess mine was a little bit more clinical. So I was about 18. This is a very like emotional mm. <laughs> introduction to psychology. So yeah, 18 um, had moved between cultures. So I was living in Ghana, then moved to Italy. But my notion was that, you know, I was Italian because I was born in Italy mm-hmm. and, you know, most of my teenage years were spent in Italy. Mm-hmm. But I continuously found that I didn't fit in. Right. And this then led into sort of an identity crisis Mm. so my mom not knowing how to deal with you know my persistent crying and just being very moody and Mm -hmm. thinking you know it was teenage stuff went went out with a friend and I think they went to like a car boot sales or something and she came back home with uh, a book which I still have and it was called hold on feeling good the mood the new mood therapy right so that turned out to be a self-help psychology book yeah and it had all of the questions about you know how are you feeling depression and then it started talking about the synapses and I was like oh my gosh this is something I totally want to learn and that's how I ended up in psychology I actually wanted to be a fashion designer (laughs) there's so many angles here first of all big up to your mum because if I started doing that they'd be like read the bible it's a bit of a stereotype but it would be like read the bible what's wrong with you? what have you got to be depressed about snap out of it not going to get me a hell self-help but that's really interesting yeah 
I don't think she knew what she was even doing at the time because mm. even till today when I say stuff like oh I'm anxious or you know I, I feel like depression is setting in or something like that she would say well we don't have depression in our vocabulary or she would say the prayer about that sounds it. like my mom there you go okay. <laughs> there you go so I don't think she fully understood what she was doing but she definitely knew that there was something psychological going mm. on um and thought that book would be of help and I've still kept it for today because that's literally my my key into psychology wow he wanted to be a fashion designer yeah that I, would have been a... they didn't want me to become a fashion designer <laughs> so I guess psychology was the next step. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really interesting like that whole background of your upbringing mm. in Italy as well and feeling very different yeah. aspect um and did you study was there any like links to psychology then did you know why you were feeling the way you were feeling or no not at all so um that was sort of one of the things that I guess put me uh a little bit behind when I came to the UK to study psychology because in our curriculums in Italy we didn't have psychology for a level or GCSE so Um, or anything close to statistics for example Mm -hmm. so I was studying humanities so I guess the only way that I kind of was in tune was sort of through literature and just Mm -hmm. going more into depth about thematic analysis etc that kind of gave me an idea but the actual study of psychology wasn't something that you studied unless you were going into psychology at university which Mm -hmm. even in Italy very few people sort of do because it's not the most well-paid profession um so yeah I'm just still fascinated by that whole thing (laughs) I think um, people get led to psychology at so many different junctures and so many different routes like like mine was similar to Lola's like I'm just knows I'm very nosy I've always been like a people watcher why did that person do this yeah. blah blah, blah. Yeah. what's so that's so like the stereotypical you. kind of like I want to I want to understand what people are thinking which uh-huh. is not what you learn on the degree at all is it <laughs> I know no no <laughs> I know <laughs> going on with that when I did my um when I did my master's so I was I, I wanted to kind of I keep saying I kept saying on masters because I did like a joint honors like combined degree um, right. business and psychology oh. and I was just and I did it at Aston um which right. you know I kept I kept saying that literally the things the very thing I was running away from was mass <laughs> and statistics and that was literally what I I kind of was studying because obviously you know I don't know asking that it seems like every every psychology thing was more or less like brain and behavior or you know this kind of cognitive um so that was Honestly. more when I started during psychology and I was like yeah. oh my god that was avoided this is literally what it is and then obviously the business side was like more or less maths um so yeah, yeah. but yeah definitely I agree I had the same like I went to Birmingham which is obviously just down the road from Aston Business School and I know Aston Business School is heavily like they're they're very like strong department um in especially in the midlands but all over the uk so yeah it's probably the same like i did my math my gcs sorry my a levels were all very uh arts so i did english history and then i did psychology but the psychology was like a soft a nice little introduction so i was like oh yeah like oh there's some stats here i can handle this then i did a bsc and i was like what is this why am i doing biology why am I doing stats? Why am I adding things? I don't know what's happening. 
it took me around two years to figure out what was going on <laughs> literally by third year until I was like all oh, right I get it now see it is a do bit of a like, change mm-hmm. do you feel like maybe at the a-level uh, stage students still don't know what they're getting themselves into and maybe that's a point where we should be having these conversations absolutely yeah <laughs> I mean yeah I, I don't want to my psychology teacher I don't want to say anything about it because she might listen one day. It was an interesting experience. Her lessons were very interesting, but not necessarily in depth about psychology and the professionalism of psychology. It was more of the material that she encouraged us to self-learn, which was great for uni. But in terms of careers, zero was spoken about it, like zero in two years. I just remember my psychology um, A-levels were more about the studies, like the little grounds in Bado. It was just more about that. Um, And they just drawing insights from that about how people behave. And I was like, yeah, this is definitely what I want to study because already I was thinking, I was thinking about um, how people behave anyways. And that was what I was interested in. Mm. But but I don't think it's, like you said, I think there's a disconnect between what you're actually studying psychology and what you go and study in, on the degree. Absolutely. I think even just a little bit of a talk about the different areas of psychology and what it's actually like, even at undergrad, we still had that, but it was like one talk in maybe second year from some people. Yeah. But there was, it was very vague. So you were just yeah. like, oh, okay. And that was it. Yeah. I think the media plays heavily into it as well with all of the, American style counseling sessions that you see and everyone thinks yeah I'm gonna be that CSI person doing behavioral analysis <laughs> and <laughs> picking up the crumbs oh yeah she just smiled that means she's extroverted and <laughs> oh, God. when you cross your arms in a meeting it means you're defensive if I hear that one more time so yeah good. so like this is the image that I think most people have about if you're a psychologist and if you're going to study psychology, you're going to be equipped with reading people and picking up behavioral cues. Mm. And then we found that psychologists probably lack a lot of (laughs) (laughs) work psychologists, right? We lack a lot of the knowledge that is actually so stereotypical of psychologists. I think some do. Yeah. But I don't think we're in this category, so it's fine. We're not us. We're different. (laughs) We're the the select group of people. Exactly. So thank you for telling me your origin story of psychology. I need to go back to the beginning, which is what is occupational psychology? I'm sure you've both had the thing where you try to explain what your job is or try to explain your degrees to your parents or your friends. And they're like, oh, occupational therapy. Oh, oh, therapist. Oh, organization and they just say yeah lots of things and not no one really knows what occupational psychology is so would either of you both of you like to just tell me what you think it is and how you explain it (laughs) i tend to say um i tend to say the science of hr but i guess people at work but i do get the the fact that no one no one knows what occupational psychology is but now more i mean obviously when i mean when i'm talking about my job i say i'm a trainee occupational psychologist but usually if i'm not talking about my job or in a job related scenario i usually say business psychologist because i feel like people understand that better they just put business psychology okay yeah got it yeah so it's a much more like understandable isn't it it's more palatable yeah well i'd say 
I guess it's the application of psychological theory to people at work. Mm -hmm. So everything that we've, we, we know about psychology in terms of understanding the mind, we understand the mind or people in the context of work. So individuals, groups, teams, and then businesses as a whole, how mm -hmm. they work. We just apply psychology to that and try to make work a better experience for people. I think those two definitions or explanations are really key, like trying to get the best out of people at work, understanding how psychology impacts people in the workplace because it impacts people everywhere. Mm -hmm. But when you're spending the majority of your day at work for like 40 years, there's going to be a lot of psychological elements. When I used to lecture, I always used to tell my students stuff like, you don't come to work and leave your emotions at the door. Like everyone wishes that was the case, but unfortunately or fortunately, I mean, there's benefits for both. Everyone's a person. So how does that fit into how you're selected, how you're trained, how you've developed in the workplace, how you select people for certain jobs and all of those kinds of things. So yeah, great. Thank you for those explanations. I hope everyone's a little bit more enlightened. <laughs> right. So the next question is, you've talked about what led you to study psychology, but what made you do go the extra mile, spend the extra money, spend the extra time um, to embark on an MSc in occupational psychology? Uh, for me, it was mainly the fact that I, I guess it was threefold. So I'd studied psychology and in my mind, I was going to do something with it. Mm -hmm. But uh, my career path was sort of crafted into sort of an educational background. Right. Um, and I knew I didn't want to do educational psychology because I had shadowed um, an educational psychologist, knew I didn't want to do it clinical psychology I had also worked in the mental health trust and it was the most chaotic experience I had ever had so I definitely didn't want to do it and the, and the journey was just too long so mm. for me the next thing was okay um, where's that area of psychology that would give me money and is not the longest process in the world mm -hmm. that I was looking into it and discovered occupational psychology so then as I was reading about it in my workplace I realized that actually what what was being written about Oxide mm -hmm. and how it could be applied in the workplace was things that I was experiencing in my workplace and I thought well actually rather than being in this educational facility I could be the person that comes in and helps the educational facility so I'm going to study psychology um, occupational psychology be rich and come back to this workplace and be a hero <laughs> and, and two years after <laughs> the story the story is still unfolding mm. so I'm, I'm still positive that all of those things are going to to come absolutely <laughs> we're manifesting we're exactly. manifesting the riches <laughs> how about you Lola uh, so um so I did my undergrad, I did the business and psychology, like I said, and it was a combined degree. So um, it was literally taught separately. So I was part of the business, half of the business school and right. half of the psychology school. Right. Um, and so towards the end of that, I already knew um, that I wanted to become an occupational psychologist because <laughs> I couldn't see myself being any other type of psychologist. So like based on the different disciplines, I was like, nah, I'm not going to be able to do any of those other ones. And it just felt like a natural feat as well to do to be a um, occupational psychologist. So I have to thank my dad really because he was. <laughs> 
because of him, I literally he encouraged me to study um, business in A level and also right. in university. So literally, thank God for that. But why did I go on to do my master's in occupational psychology? So towards the end of that, I knew that I wanted to do occupational psychology. And also, I was a kind of... So when I was studying occupational psychology, we still had the, the eight areas. Yeah. I, those eight areas were just... I just could see myself in it. Literally, mm. just, I was very interested with the, you know, the coaching, the the selection of recruitment, the mm-hmm. assessments, well-being. I was, yes, those were the things that were interested in me anyways. I just, I think, I actually didn't know that Aston had that joint program. I think looking back, if I was to apply to uni again, I probably would have applied to Aston actually, mm-hmm. because I knew that I always wanted to do occupational and having that business grounding in the ed, the edge and then applying that to an oxyc afterwards would be would have been really useful and also Willie you were talking about having some experiences because I know you went to Brunel didn't you which Mm. has a placement year so I know a few people that went to Brunel and did psychology and in their placement year got to kind of experience lots of different areas of psychology so you spoke about that I think anyone who wants to pursue psychology I mean there's not so many universities with placement years anymore I know that Bath has a placement year and I know Brunel has one and other than that I can't think of anywhere else Mm. maybe Cardiff used to have one but I'm not sure they might have scrapped it but if that's something you want to get practical experience of and it's quite invaluable for something as practical as psychology try and find a undergraduate degree that has the placement years embedded so then you don't have to do the exploring afterwards I think probably that maybe jumping ahead of the gun would be experience, whether Mm -hmm. it's within, you know, psychology or even outside. Mm -hmm. The the thing that we are afforded in psychology is that it's broad enough for you to work everywhere. But what you could end up doing is navigating so many spaces and not really forging a career per se. Yeah. So I'd definitely say you know if you can do do that or do what Lola did which is combine two degrees so that you have the avenue of doing either and you're quite versatile because yeah it's hard out here yes it is it really is before I I mean when I did the combined degree I I think it's changed now but it wasn't um accredited so it didn't have to be yeah so I think they've changed it now, but I still had to do like a grad dip, um, a graduate yeah. diploma. Gee. Yeah, you had to do a postgraduate diploma after. Yeah, yeah, because it was half and half. Like I said, it was so, but I think they've changed it now. Yeah, because obviously I graduated ages ago. But yeah, yeah, I know it's it was like really, yeah. But this was back, back, back then. But and they, the the courses were not aligned at all. So even though. It was, I don't think they saw the opportunities there. I think it was just, they just was, it was just half business, half psychology. And they didn't really marry it together. And I remember Mm -hmm. because I wanted to do my dissertation and I was like, I was trying to tell them that, look, I'm going to be a business psychologist. So I want to do something within business and psychology. And they were having real trouble initially, like trying to find out who my supervisor would be Mm -hmm. because they didn't really have that person Mm -hmm. that was actually business psychologist was more the psychologist that was more clinical kind of mm. leading at the end of the day I did get someone so it's fine 
Wow. So for, just for the listeners, the graduate basis for registration. So there's some psychology undergraduate courses that are not accredited by the British Psychological Society, which will allow you to do further study in unaccredited courses. So most are, but some aren't. So Lola's wasn't. So then she had to do a separate course after her undergraduate to allow her to do the postgraduate masters in occupational psychology i think that's changed now now um you can do the accredited oxyc masters without gbr first i think you can do it afterwards i was talking to um a lecturer in, in business psychology and she was saying that so it's changed slightly but i'll put some information in the description for anyone that wants to research and find that out because you know I'm old now so I don't know what's changed it's not the same as when I was a youngster so uh, yeah thanks so much for that how did you get to your current roles just a you know an edited version uh so I did my so after I did my grad dip that was the I think that was during the recession area, right. uh, 2008, 2009. And then it was incredibly hard to get a job. And I didn't have um, money. I didn't have funds to do my master's straight away as I right. planned. So I worked for a while in HR. Then I went and did my master's a few years afterwards. And then I thought that would, you know, that would help going into occupational psychology. And then, then at that point, I still didn't have occupational psychology experience and then I went back into HR and worked a little bit for a while as well and then after about all this working in HR and then I was like actually I haven't actually really used my psychology degree and then I was like let me just have a look and see if I can apply for an occupational psychologist I think I came across an occupational psychology role and I was like oh actually let me just see if I'm gonna if it's gonna if I'm gonna get through and I applied for the role that I'm in currently in the civil service and I I, I guess I got it yeah um, <laughs> you, <laughs> you sure <laughs> just to confirm <laughs> and that was like so it's been about it's just coming up to two years mm-hmm. um and that's I guess that's how I'm here now excellent that sounds good so you still had to well you wanted to get that or you got the HR experience with your degrees as well. It seems like it all kind of worked out together to allow you to have that exposure to HR, which is mm. quite similar to a lot of the stuff that occupational psychologists do anyway. Yeah. And then that allowed you to elevate yourself and get that trainee role um, in civil service. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How about you, Winnie? Yeah, so after my master's, I basically applied for a role that was been advertised via my lecturer mm-hmm. at uni so I I didn't really sort of apply for a lot of oxyc roles just because there weren't many <laughs> there aren't any <laughs> it's like free yeah um <laughs> and I was very hesitant to go into HR because I also felt that I had studied psychology and if I wanted to sort of go into HR, I would have studied that. And it's just such a black and white way of looking at things, which I wouldn't advise anyone to do now. But that was my thinking at the time. And luckily, I managed to get the role that I'm in now. Mm-hmm. Um, so mine was literally because of my network, really, of, of knowing my lecturer and knowing that he had a, a business. So, so that's how I got into it. So to your current kind of roles... Can you let the listeners know like what 
your areas of psychology are so what areas do you focus on in occupational psychology possibly some projects that you're doing be really interesting to hear okay uh so the and i work in psychological assessment at work Mm -hmm. so the business basically focuses on creating bespoke psychometric tools for organizations Mm -hmm. so part of the projects that i would be involved in is to design you know selection tools for organizations so part of it would be you know the statistical knowledge being applied to design a psychometric Mm -hmm. tool which I believe in most of the oxide courses you should cover sort of skill development etc so that's that's something that I'm doing in real life other things I would do is to run certification programs so I do trainings um, with a lot of our clients to ensure that they know how to use the tools, but also to, for any, I guess, students or even clients who want to be certified in tests use. The BPS has a qualification that you need to have. So I run those type of trainings as well. But generally, the work that I do is around yeah, bespoke um, psychometric tool development and then mm-hmm. And then part of it is also then business administration. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That sounds like a lot of psychology students and Oxide students, that's their kind of dream kind of role. That's the thing that most people yeah. think of when they think of occupational yeah. psychology, which is psychometric assessment, development, design, training. Um, so I'll break it a little bit down for the listeners. So occupational psychologists will use these tools to help inform assessment or selection decision so who should you hire if you've ever done any of those psychometric tests or assessments so ability ones with some maths in there some verbal reasoning non-verbal reasoning or ones that will look at your personality to match you to the roles that's what Winnie does so she'll be designing those assessments also training other people on how to use them in the correct and ethical way as well so that is a lot of occupational psychology firms or organizations will their bread and butter is a lot of psychometric design and development honestly it sounds really interesting i love psychometrics i mean not the stat side so the side that you wanted you were thinking why am i doing this now you're that's your job for me the stat side isn't the greatest but the um the administration and the interpretation of it especially for development so for people who are going for promotions or they they want to know more about themselves it's always fascinating to come up and say look here's your report like read it and they're like oh my gosh or they're like this is nothing like me I bet you get those ones I don't know what you're talking about that's not me the test is wrong and then you've got to talk about test design I guess there's sort of that overlap between those two areas of learning learning and development and assessment Mm -hmm. because most likely in learning and development you you may be using the assessments that have been designed already yeah um, or you'd have to interpret them which still requires you to have some knowledge yeah about how to interpret so yeah yeah really cool how about Lola what's your main things that you do in your role so in my role I do well my my team is an assessment design team so we also design assessments so design comprehensive frameworks so like what what the profile for a successful person in a particular role mm-hmm. we also design things like interviews um role plays situational judgment tests oh right you do sjt's as well i love an sjt 
me do things like job analysis as well to inform this to inform the design and also training assessors as well yeah. um, who use the assessments that we design mm-hmm. and we do some analysis as well so things like adverse impact customer yeah. experience surveys yeah. and also we have because uh, I work within the civil service sometimes we might have ad hoc um, projects from yeah. within the other business areas yeah so we have sometimes we have ad hoc um, projects from within the business that we can help with mm-hmm. so we do that as well but it's mainly an assessment design team but sometimes we get other other bits in there that are quite interesting too. yeah so that helps you with having a bit of variety both of your roles sound like you've got your staple which is assessment design and assessment development and then you also do other projects so for Winnie you'll be doing the business administration business management side where for Lola you will just get those ad hoc projects from other areas of the civil service that you can help with and inform use your wonderful knowledge to inform decisions (laughs) excellent so I know there's probably no such thing as a typical day but if you could talk about a typical day what would it be made up of yeah that that there really isn't Mm. (laughs) I'm thinking of my day today and it wouldn't be anything like tomorrow for example Mm. but I can definitely say a part of it would be liaison with clients to better understand what their needs are for Mm. for you know business purposes so for example looking at data to see whether some competencies or some personality dimensions that we we were investigating for them as Lola mentioned for you know job analysis purposes Mm -hmm. um, is exactly what is exactly what they're looking for, um, whether it fits the profiles that they're they're looking to hire for, etc. Right. Um, but also to inform how we we create these bespoke products for them. So it wouldn't be heavily, you know, based around client work either. It would also sort of be looking at um, how we market our tools, yeah. for example. Um, so a lot of what I'm currently doing is to sort of look at new business avenues, et cetera. So okay. no two days are the same at the mm. moment. Um, I may sort of find myself running lots of training next month, for example. Yeah. Um, and that could be what's typical of that time. Yeah, it's very variable. I think yours is especially because it because it's a smaller business. It depends on the external factors as well as some of the internal drivers as to what you're going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's great in, in terms of uh, acquiring skills, mm. for example, and, and the role that I find myself in means that I'm very hands on with quite a few things. So mm-hmm. if let's say I had a specific role as a trainer, then in a typical day at a, I don't know, Conferry or Cubics, you know specifically what you're doing mm-hmm. is training and you sort of have a typical day. But I do think that in smaller um, oxyc consultancies, it, it's very usual to find days that are not the same. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Very varied. How about you, Lola? What does a day look like if there's such a thing as a typical day? Um, I think, yeah, same as Winnie, actually. I don't think we have a typical day per se. Um Again, it depends on the projects that I'm involved in at the moment. So it could go from 
for example, like when you said, it may be the, if we have like a campaign that's live, one of our volume roles, um, it may be that or just about to go live, maybe that we at that point we're training assessors and that's mm. literally what it is in assessors, training actors, etc. So there's a lot of training. Or it could be if it's if we've got like products that we need fully products that we need to design, it could be having interviews with people that are in the in the roles, um right. subject matter experts and doing job analysis calls and then designing whatever it is, whatever assessment we're designing and then trialing the assessments and seeing what we get, you know, seeing if they work well with volunteers. Or it could be, if it's like a research project, it could be literally, you know, trying to find journal articles, writing it up, writing, you know, going through the proofreading, writing a report up, um, or analyzing. So like we've got like clients experience service that we do as well. So analyzing that and then writing it up. So it, it really, it really varies really. Yeah. But it's always yeah typically different depending on the projects i think yeah because sometimes you could also be talking with clients as well if you're just about to start a design work and it's mm-hmm. a bespoke it's not one of the volume roles where you have to find out what the brief is and then speak to people that are in that role and see what they need it does sound like what you study especially in the selection and assessment module on the oxide masters is very much informs a large majority of your work and also the research that's why they made us do like what two modules in research <laughs> methods yeah. and at the time I was like please stop this like I don't want to see SPSS again but it seems like you, you probably you do use it I remember going into a job when I was doing a little bit of kind of a more of the psychometric side I took my two textbooks that I the only two textbooks that I got for stats I brought them into the office because I was like I know I'm gonna need these yeah <laughs> It was fine. No one looked down on me. It was because I needed them. And this was before there were so many like YouTube videos on how yeah. to use So yeah, it was fine. Which I don't one? even remember the authors. The Andy Fields um, SPSS book. What's it called? It's a huge SPSS book. And it had lots of like stories in it. It's probably... I, I remember the name, but I don't... Yeah, is it Understanding SPS? Is it that one? I think that's... That's <laughs> the one I didn't... But was that the really fat one? I think yeah. I saw that. I used to see it in the library yeah. and I sidestepped it. I got one called Statistics Without Maths. Yes, yeah. That was that, mine. That familiar as well, yeah. And then there was a yellow one. Yeah. Like a yellow one as well. And I can't remember what that was called because I've, I've like lent my books out to other people doing psychology. I haven't seen them for a while. Maybe I need to start finding them again in case I yeah. do another stats job. But yeah, those two books were like, I would be like, oh, I need to look at this page because it's more like a manual. So yeah, that sounds like you're very much day to day. Another thing is like, are there other areas of Oxide? So we spoke about the eight areas. So correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a long time. So I think coaching is one or career coaching was one of mine. Then we have like stress maybe was another one. Selection and assessment, employee relations, training. And I can't remember the other three. Organizational development. Yes. And change. change, Yeah. And then this. Are you talking about the modules? Yeah. 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 I had work and well-being. Mm -hmm. I think there was something. Yeah. There was one that straddled that like stress and well-being or some sort so out of all of those areas is there a particular area that you you would like to do more of that you're not necessarily doing so much in your day-to-day uh, I think potentially work design mm-hmm. 
I think what design change, development, all of that stuff, I I don't think I've had so much exposure mm-hmm. uh, doing those. So especially the, the part of work design that goes into human economics, because I think they changed the name of that. Yes. Design, but I've forgotten that, that module, the ergonomics and yeah. design. Yeah, yeah. I think because that's almost where Oxpike originated from, True. you know, that, that aspect of, you know, thinking of work physically. I mm. think something that I would be interested in looking, because I have no clue what, what goes into it but maybe the change part of things makes sense, but that's, a, that's an area I'd like to look into. Whether mm. I want to work in it is sort of, you know, a different conversation. But, mm. yeah. That more of like harder, I don't want to call it hard science because it's not hard science, but that much more, it's very, very, psychometric is also extremely technical, but the ergonomics human factors side is technical from a safety critical standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I've done some work in that area and the breadth and depth of projects you do literally from one day to the next, they could be totally different, especially if you're in like an air traffic control. So aviation setting or a railway setting or a physical vehicle setting. Like it's really interesting to apply that knowledge. So yeah, really cool. Lola, is there any other areas of psych that you would like to? I think I've always been interested in, um, in development and I think that was probably one of the reasons why I wanted to become a psychologist because I thought I was that was why I was interested in people mm-hmm. so I think I'm always going to still be interested in development um in coaching um and also I, ha- I also have an interest in which is not really occupational psychology but I do have a I like to look at my um occupational psychology through a positive psychology slant yeah because I think, you know, this is the whole point of literally what it is. We're trying to be flourishing. We're trying to be better and developing people. So, so yeah, I'm very interested in positive psychology and how it informs um, everything else around me. Hmm. But obviously, but we do, I mean, in the work that I do, we do. So sometimes some of the things that I have to design might be strength interviews. So right. it's kind of in there as well. So, um. yeah that's really cool so actually going into positive psychology can you give us a bit of an overview of what that is for people that might not be so familiar with it uh so positive psychology um and i don't have the proper definition but for me (laughs) um what it is is it's about it's about living a, a meaningful life a good life so it's about achieving I, th- I think it's all about human functioning like you know and flourishing yes. so going beyond for me it's just going beyond standard and just becoming better and thriving yeah. right. as a person yeah um, I mean in, in, in the workplace it could be you know using your skills and um, becoming more actualized in terms of what you can achieve and yes. what you actually want out of life mm-hmm. but then in life in general it could just be living a good life that it's meaningful and you know you find fulfilling absolutely um, yeah and just I, and it's not i guess to say it's not just about being positive or being of positivity um it's up because obviously you can't be positive all the time some mm-hmm. sometimes you actually need to be it's good to not be so positive because then you can kind of bounce back um am i making sense but yeah, yeah. um but it's about it's about i guess yeah just what matters to you yeah. um and then feeling that and being aware of it 
yeah, yeah it sounds very similar to like so there's a career theory called the protein career theory and it suggests mm. that people when they're choosing jobs and when they're in jobs it's values driven so it's aligned with their values and it's also self-directed so you're actually driving the direction of your career rather than the organization driving it which was the past the older model so like positive psychology things like strengths-based looking at people's strengths so it's more of a strengths-based rather than a deficit model which psychology probably originated more of like what's wrong how can we fix people whereas strengths-based and positive-based is like what's good about this person and how can we use those strengths to help them flourish in the environment that they're in so yeah. I think that's really cool and I think that's psychology a lot of psychology is going in that direction especially you know in therapeutic models so you've got oh what's it called it's like solution brief solution therapy or solution brief therapy I forgot I probably got it wrong it's basically instead of looking at like a CBT model where you look at you know your thoughts feelings behaviors it's looking at okay let's look at the present and let's look at the future um let's not look at the past but what do you Mm. want to achieve so it's kind of like a coaching model but Mm. for therapy you can use it in therapeutically as well on -on one-on-one so it's similar to that so um in your job what would you say are the best parts of the job what things do you enjoy the most everyone goes silent (laughs) 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 we have the best part sort of my job which I guess when when I run the trainings and I see I see that delegates really understand mm-hmm. the usefulness of psychometric tools and you know how it's going to make a difference or, or just even the little things that they learn that you know go from common knowledge to scientific understanding yeah that for me is very fulfilling. So mm. even just in language, for example, when giving feedback, when, you know, I say, well, if you say you you scored a 10 or you scored a one, mm. um, compassion, it draws, you know, an emotion in the person. So rather than focusing on the numbers, let's focus on just, you know, what it means. So yeah. you scored in the higher range, you scored in the lower range. There isn't, there isn't a good or bad. You mm-hmm. literally see like the, the light bulb moment. And for me, those are one of the, the fulfilling aspects of it that because of psychological knowledge, they are going to make a difference in how they are relaying that information to other people. So the best part for me is when you know I'm applying psychology to effectively make work better for people so it could be through training it could be through designing the tools um I I see the actual benefit of doing it and and that's exciting for me yeah I I think that's really it's like when you give that information to the recipient of the report Mm. in a way that isn't judgmental it's like a weight is lifted like no one wants to oh your your compassion score is one therefore you're and they're like oh my gosh am I like a bad I'm not compassionate (laughs) at all I'm cold that's not me and people automatically just get really defensive it's like no 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 like that's not what we're using the space for like when I do you feel more compassionate and when don't you feel so compassionate and what things can you do to tap into that emotion when you're talking to other people for example so it's giving people that non-judgmental space and from a psychologist it's even better because we've got that training of kind of positive 
self-regard which is the therapeutic term where you know you're not judging anybody negatively you're actually just looking at the facts and looking at the information they're giving you and helping people grow in that yeah I think it comes back to what Lola said about you know the science of HR that in in I guess normal HR normal HR in (laughs) HR (laughs) you you take things for granted in in how information is relayed whilst Mm -hmm. we know as psychologists that it goes beyond how you're saying it that Mm. the actual impact has you know some repercussions that would then impact performance at work etc so i think that robustness in understanding and sharing that information is is quite exciting for me it is exciting great lola what are your best bits of your job i think my best bits from my job uh i think okay first of all me coming into this role i haven't i i feel like i always kind of say this disclaimer but i haven't i hadn't done psychology in a very very long time mm-hmm. um because i'd done my um, education etc and the my producer were psychology based all ages ago so for me one of the biggest things i enjoy about this role is just the this, this space to kind of learn new things back to and get back into psychology um into the joy of it learning new things and being able to to be creative as well i feel like because i'm designing all these things i'm able to be creative i'm able to kind of put use the data as well but like in an evidence-based way as well so Mm. when i do you know like job analysis and getting that information and then you know designing like what i think when i propose like what i think the assessments should look like for that role but then being able to kind of use that information that i've got what the role is like and what the um, competences of the um, success profile whatever the skills needed for the role and then kind of matching that up and being able to design something that measures everything that's included in that what makes a person successful in that role and then you know knowing that when this is this is going to be very effective for them because this is literally tapping into what makes them successful what makes people successful in that role and also you're able to and seeing that and seeing that knowing that that makes a difference so when the clients get that and they're like wow this is this is tailored in that way Mm -hmm. um so so that me personally i feel like there's no better thing for me because one of my one of my strengths is i love to learn things I, I love to um, develop myself. So, and I love to just randomly learn. I'm one of my strengths of is learning. So, learning new things and knowing that I can do different projects yeah. um, and learn different skills and develop in that way is very important to me. So, definitely one of the things that I enjoy in the role and being able to think about things differently as well. Because I feel like because I came back into psychology after so long everything is almost kind of like brand new to me so mm. I'm kind of like the child in the candy slot it's <laughs> like oh my gosh really oh my gosh yeah so so yeah yeah definitely that's that's what I enjoy it sounds exciting after all of that time of doing your undergraduate yeah. doing the graduate base your your diploma and things you probably originally knew, <laughs> then doing having a gap then doing the MSE then having another gap and then going back into it so it's like a renewed interest it's like you're starting again a little bit but also able yeah you're probably remembering things that you thought you forgot you're like oh yeah I remember that I can use that here sounds really cool and that's where absolutely having those other experiences like it might not happen straight away for you but having a wealth of experience like the experiences that you had in HR are probably invaluable to how you are in this role 
because you have that basis and you have that knowledge of like you can relate to a HR person you can talk to them in a way that they'll understand at the same time you've got the psychological knowledge and you've got the expertise there too so it allows you to straddle those different environments Mm. next question is challenges so have any of you faced any challenges to your careers where you are now and if so how did they manifest and then also how did you get over or if you haven't got over that's fine every day is a struggle every day is a new learning curve uh challenges wise i'd say something that i've noticed is networking Mm -hmm. so within psychology at large but also specifically within occupational psychology i've felt that because part of the career journey is to either go through chartership or just sort of work within consultancies and i guess grow if if you're looking if you're ambitious and you you have sort of that straightforward career pathway that you're looking at so networking for me has proven to be challenging within psychology at lo- at large but also just within arc psych because i feel that because it's not so straightforward to to carve a perfect career path so mm-hmm. or you want to become a chartered psychologist or you, so you take various routes in different areas of psychology um actually meeting with people maybe as a dop which is an expensive feat so if you're not going through work then it becomes really expensive to attend and even when you attend um, sometimes it is difficult to break into certain circles of influential mm. people. So I found that in my thinking about what my next steps are in mm. psychology or in Oxpsych, I've been hesitant somewhat to to meet up with people and speak to people because I've also I've always felt that there's this niche group of people or this mm-hmm. close knit group of people who who know each other and have been in the business for a long time and may not be very open to speaking that that could just be me and one being too introverted to even step out and just actually speak to people in general but I also think that systemically Oxyke has been built around you know these various consultancies and Mm -hmm getting into them has been quite you know tricky for everyone Mm -hmm. Um, but particularly if you don't have the social capital then it becomes a little bit trickier to to know who to speak to to know who who could give you a foot in it so generally that in my actual job I'm lucky enough to say that I don't face you know any challenges that are not that are not unique to you know just work in general so you know learning new things are definitely you know challenges that you would face in in any role yeah disagreements are challenges that you'd face in any role so I wouldn't say anything specific to my current role I'd Mm -hmm. say in Oxide at large I've always felt until we started having you know this group, this Black Occupational Psychology group, I never actually felt that I would actually be be well linked outside of right. Oxyc. But again, that that is stuff that it has to do with me, and I also think stuff that has to do with 
the 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 field at, at large yeah i, I agree <laughs> start talking here. i mean I've, I've tried to explain this in the most diplomatic way possible <laughs> no but you you're right like and i've said this many times before and other people not just people of color not just women have said to me before that oxyke is very closed because it's smaller yeah Although, I was just about to say that it's it's a very small group and everyone knows everyone yeah although somebody told me the other day that as a division division of oxide is the second largest after clinical we are we are the second largest after clinical, like, but they don't they don't treat us the same no, I, I well i in my opinion and i've been volunteering with yeah it might i i i don't think we get the same um treatment as clinical get no. the same no. I, I mean, obviously things are changing now, but I feel like most, from my experience, because I was volunteering for, with the DOP for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like most of the time, it's it feels like most of what you see yeah. is literally volunteer-led. I don't, I feel like, well, they're trying to be diplomatic. Um, I don't, I mean, obviously I can't speak to the truth of this, but in, from what my experience, it feels like they haven't invested enough in like paid stuff or paid, Mm. enough money to get things across it's mainly being you have to kind of do it yourself you figure much. it out yourself um, you're kind of like yeah. left out of sea yeah 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 absolutely because i feel you know there is there is no reason why we should still be talking about things in 2020 that we've been talking about for a for very long time, time. Um, yeah. agreed agreed so those challenges for winnie and I think shared from, for Lola and also myself in terms of breaking in to the industry um, and kind of being able to have access to people across different firms. So historically, occupational psychology, there were like a few big organisations that kind of were market leaders. Now that's changed a bit because a lot of them have been merged in acquired by other big organizations so it's kind of dispersed so you had those and then you had like smaller independent smaller organizations and then loads of independents who were doing freelance contract work so because of that model and like a lack of things like work experience opportunities Mm -hmm. internships it's really hard for people to actually even find a kind of route in so i do agree with that how about you Lola? is there any challenges that you face um before I get to my challenges, I just want to speak on what you just said. I remember when I was a graduate um, some years back and it, we, there was like a, a careers event where there was a, um, a few um, oxides, um and they were just talking about how they came into oxide and how, you know, what they do, what the role is, etc. And I found it really interesting there. And this is very, this is a very long time, but you know what was consistent in that when everyone said how they broke into oxide when they first started it was all like um you know i knew someone who was you know my friend was or it was all kind of like it was never it, it didn't seem to me obviously you know there will be people that obviously have applied for jobs and i've gotten it but it was mm-hmm. it seemed most of the people on that panel that i attended it was like oh i knew someone who had been this role I knew someone who was doing something and then you know they invited me to start you know to come along etc and I I just found it really interesting because obviously at that time I was 
graduates and I was thinking people are graduating from this course year after year after year yeah you know we're still talking about the same issues about no experience no experience um, work experience opportunities mm-hmm. and you know still nothing has been changed and obviously we it's just already the people in the field are not getting the experience that they need because for you to get a role in Oxide at least an entry-level role you it comes with usually comes with like you need two years experience you need one year experience and obviously if you're a graduate you don't have that experience and they they're very particular usually about the type of experience they require because it's not enough to just have experience you usually have to have oxide related experience which you obviously can't get unless you're working in an oxide obviously you um it's debatable you can also get that across different roles but it, it just used to seem really funny to me that <laughs> most of the people didn't actually get a job through like traditional means of applying for a job um it was usually through people they knew that were in such roles and you know they got opportunities through that yeah so it's been the same thing now yeah very similar to what winnie was saying about how do you break in and you don't know anyone and that yeah. where, that's where the social capital aspect comes in like i would say I grew up i'd never met any psychologists let alone any occupational psychologists in my whole life until probably I studied my master's in terms of oxides. I knew a few people that had studied psychology at undergrad, but they went on to not go into psychology roles afterwards. So that was only because I have older brothers and their friends, like what literally one of them <laughs> studied psychology. So I was able to talk to him when I was applying for undergrad. That was it. And this is where the social capital aspect like someone talk to us talk to people about what it's actually like and obviously it's, it's a lot easier now we've got social media we've got organizations like the bit network and what i'm trying to do there's one for forensic there's uh, minorities and clean psych there's so many things popping up but like lola was saying it's 2020 yeah where were they before <laughs> who knows what was happening before like there were people drip fed in who went from traditional backgrounds i suppose white middle class male female that are now being able to break in a lot easier because of your networks that's why networks are so important so I, i'm really saying that when he was actually really useful because i think you encompassed it very well by saying the lack of networks closes you off to certain opportunities that you would be afforded to if you had those networks okay great um what advice this is the last question you'll probably be happy to hear you've done really well thanks so much Pusha, what advice would you give to any aspiring occupation psychologist so let's say someone who's about to start their a-levels or someone who's about to start their undergrad in psychology or just about to finish the undergrad and thinking about doing a master's in oxide what advice would you give them lola i'll go with first so what advice will I give? I think the advice I'll give anyone is to get work experience. So it doesn't matter what the work experience is. And and to be honest with you, now that I'm in, so I spent so long, you know, in my life <laughs> when I was younger, when I first graduated, thinking I want a role that has occupational psychology in it, you know, because to me that was literally the occupational psychology role. But really now that I'm in an occupational psychology role, some of the things that I'm doing now I feel like not that you can do in any role but then I've done previously in my role so it was not to the same standard because obviously I wasn't I mean I'm doing my chastity now so I wasn't you can say I wasn't supervised by an occupational psychologist Mm -hmm. but still I kind of was 
doing um doing some of the things um then um so and also you know it's just work experience isn't really important um i think when i did my undergrad i was i signed up to a four-year course but then i didn't actually because i was thinking about you know i'm gonna have to do grad dip, i'm gonna have to do a master's i'm gonna spend forever in studies i actually cut out the placement year and did right. just three years right and and i remember this because you know steve woods was my one of my um tutors when i was when i was in my undergrad and he was like you need to do an un- you need to do the placement year and i was like no 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 no. i'm just gonna skip <laughs> i haven't got time for that i, I need to that. be quick yeah i was like i need to get this quick you know i need to get through this quickly and obviously to be honest i should have just done it because i graduated during the recession so that one year would have helped me get over the recession but i was like no no no, no. I'm, just, I'm just gonna cut it out and then obviously, then I found myself that I was graduated, but I didn't have any experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think work experience is very important. Even if you don't think it's it's an occupational psychology role or a psychology related role, you can still kind of, it will still be, you know, valuable in terms of going forward and looking at roles. And also my advice would be, my second advice would be just because you're, the work you're doing doesn't say occupational psychology or doesn't say psychology in it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not doing related work um so do so think about when you're looking for roles you know think about other things that might be the work might be similar um and even if it doesn't have an occupational psychology role it's still valuable to do and um yeah so that that's that would be what i would say because i feel like i I was very tunnel vision when i was younger and i Mm -hmm. had to be occupational psychology or i wasn't interested obviously that didn't work i still ended up going into hr but you know (laughs) there you go no i think your advice is perfect and because roles that say occupational psychology are very few and far between yeah um a lot of people end up doing more hr based stuff um so for example I've done loads of roles. So I've worked in human factors. I'm currently working in talent management. I've done a bit of recruitment. All of those roles have given me a depth of experience and I've used psychology. So I use psychology every day. But for example, my current role, kind of managing program, managing graduate programs, as well as doing some diversity inclusion work. And so for that, I'm talking to people all day long. I'm assisting and informing the selection process. I'm interviewing. I'm doing some coaching. I'm talking to managers. For the DNI role, setting up groups. I'm doing analysis, like very quick thematic analysis. I'm doing focus groups. I'm doing all sorts of stuff that you learn when you're doing Oxite. But because it doesn't say Oxite, it doesn't mean it's less valuable. And there's loads of those kinds of roles. Like even if you're just you're doing like a recruitment role or you work in an executive search firm um executive search firms use actually quite a lot of psychometrics so they'll be assessing those top leaders and top managers um using psychometric assessments and then be also be doing it for development so you can still use oxyc in those areas too so perfect perfect advice lola how about you winnie what would you say to aspiring occupational psychologists so I think Lola has hit the nail on the head, which for me is experience. So uh, starting from A-levels, I think whatever experience that you have, whether it's working in retail, whether it's, you know, babysitting, et cetera, have a look at the competencies that are required for most of these roles and then work backwards and see how you can maybe job craft. So job crafting is just basically how you can shape a role to benefit you and Mm -hmm. your organization so let's say you know that you want to enter into assessments then maybe 
doing some shadowing work or just asking whether you could look at how you're assessed, for example, and maybe make some recommendations, etc. Again, these are things that you would have to be knowledgeable about before you enter. So maybe this could be a way for you to understand whether this is something that you want to go into mm-hmm. at an A-level stage. I'd say once you're at university, then the best thing is for me that social capital that I was talking about. So, for example, as I said, I got my role through my network because it was my lecturer but primarily that would that that's the sort of thing that you want to be doing so use your social media to your advantage get vocal about you know your dissertation speak to people about you know the fact that you're about to graduate and you you're looking to understand what they're doing so not necessarily that you're looking for a job but that you want to understand what they're doing maybe shadow them you know for a couple of days just to see if again the area of expertise is where you want to um, go into but I think the experience part of things is just the most important you know part of of getting into occupational psychology and building your network in such a way that once you get to the stage where you want to become an occupational psychologist it, it doesn't take too long to get to that point. I also think understanding that it's your career trajectory and so as everyone has said you don't have to go for roles that say occupational psychologists you have to sort of craft it in the way that fits into what you studied so as um as you said grace it could be that you're working in recruitment well recruitment has many of the aspects of assessments that you know oxide covers so believing in yourself as you know a business psychologist even if you're not charted is you know fundamental uh to you sort of continuing in the career because I think what I struggled with was uh for a long time you know not seeing what I was doing or what who I was as as an occupational psychologist I just Mm. thought you know um there are a lot of things I'm doing that I could do in HR but actually no you've studied um, things that inform your decision making in your workplace as a business psychologist as an occupational psychologist so you know walk proudly in it and we'll all become very great occupational psychologists. I agree I just think that every time I talk to people about Oxide I get even more excited like the the spark hasn't gone for Mm. many years many Mm. years I went exposed for how many years but for many years it's still fascinating to see how things work and our training even if it's one if it's a one year masters or the two year masters that you do is quite thorough and it's very robust Mm -hmm. so you end up getting people who are extremely good at critical thinking really good at research and really good at applying those things to the workplace to make any workplace much more like we said evidence-based and fairer and less discriminatory on on the most part if you really look at things properly that's what you'll get out so anyone who wants to hire any occupational psychologists I'm sure there's many listening Uh, if you want to get in touch with us just let us know I know that in the black business psychologist group there's quite a lot of coaches so that's one area of psychology that people can specialize in so if you're interested in getting more of an insight or just helping you forge a career contact and we'll be able to help you to do that all right so thank you so much everyone is there anything either of you would like to say before we wrap um, up? 
there's a book, How to Become an Occupational Psychologist. It's yes. by Binner and Steve Woods. Yes. Uh, so they could also look into it. Put the link, I'll put the link in the description if I remember to do that. <laughs> um, because yes, that is fairly new. And yeah. I haven't read it. Have you read it? I have, yeah. Is it, it sounds good. good. It's thorough. Excellent. Does it have stuff about chartership, how to get chartered? Um, I guess no, not in the fullest sense, just because chartership seems to be moving goalposts every now and then. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. it gives you sort of a very good and simple understanding okay. of what it is and the various areas and so some of the stuff that we've covered today really Excellent. um it, it doesn't really sort of give you the step-by-step -step into chartership per se but i'd still recommend it um mm. as a first you know read all right thank everyone for participating it's been lovely to speak to you it's been lovely to see you and yeah just thanks for your time and your expertise because i'm sure many people will will be really find it beneficial yeah they can get in contact on linkedin um winnie Frimpong on linkedin so if anyone wants some advice will do rg yeah i'm lola lola o on linkedin okay so. great well thanks so much for your time and thank have you, a lovely evening both of you you too right. good evening.